There he is, Carl Greaves. How you doing, mate? How are you doing, Danny? You're all right. Yeah, not bad. You need a oh, logo. Right, video the started in the background. Finding a logo designer in second. Got that down. Sorry, mate. Uh, yeah, I'm all good, mate. Yeah, really good. Yeah. How are you keeping all right? I, I uh, yeah, heard you saying earlier you, you've done your back. Doing too oh, much. Too much for, for the older it. guy. <laughs> I've been training quite well and uh, been really enjoying it because I've not... I mean, I always train. I train three or four times a week myself, but yeah. obviously training fires and that it takes a lot out of me, a lot out of me as well. You see, so um, I've been been able to do a lot of training myself while we're on this period. And um, but the thing is, I think I've overdone it, mate. My back's in agony now. <laughs> Have you um? So you you still train fires as well? So you manage, promote, and train. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I've always trained fighters from uh, from day one, really, uh, since 2005. Um, but I've, I've actually had my trainer's license since 2001 because when I was fighting, I failed a routine a routine brain scan in 2001, and I didn't really know the ins and outs back then, and uh, I thought that was it, that was it for me, unfortunately. And what I went and didn't get my trainer's license in 2001. So I've actually had it a long time since I was 24 years old. Um, oh, yeah. And I started training fighters and then 10 months later, I got reinstated by the board and then I had a few more big fights. And um, unfortunately, I failed another scan in 2005 and that's when I went into went into the full-time uh, training, managing and promoting. So what, what was it with the scans then? Well, as you know, every year you have to have a scan yeah, yeah. and uh, it goes into the archive. And what they do each year is they compare your scans. And mine had had a slight change um, in 2001. I think it was a time when there was 14 of us who failed at the same time. Um, Wayne McCulloch being one of them, he was probably the highest profile fighter at the time. They failed his, I think he had a cyst on his or something. So he went to America. Um, I don't know whether he carried on fighting, but I know that he was one of them. Um, yeah, so um, we, I managed to get my license. But I think 10 out of the 14 fighters got the license back, and I was one of them. And then it all started changing then. They got more stricter. And um, I had a few bad, my biggest fights come after that, fortunately. And then 2005, we had another change by this time. <laughs> I just thought to myself, you know what? It's I think it's time now to knock it on the head. You know what I mean? I've I've been warned a couple of times, and I mean health-wise, it's perfectly fine. I mean my memory's good. Never had no problems. I just think that that's strict, and um, obviously if you get a slight change, the board pick you up on it, and I don't think they want to take any chances. Because obviously what's happened over the years with Michael Watson and what have you. So. Um, yeah, I think uh, I had Rob Smith ring me. It's funny, really, because it was 2005, Valentine's Day it was. i never forget it. I was laying on the settee, and um, I'd been for a run. Uh, the missus was moaning that I couldn't take her out because it was Valentine's Day. I had a big fight, a British title eliminator it was, which would have been, well, would have been the fight that I was lined up for. And um, I was laying on the settee, and Robert Smith from the board ran me and said, Carl, Bad news, mate. You've uh, you've you've uh, you've had another change in your scan. Um, obviously, this fight in two weeks' time is not going to be happening. Um, 
it was it was heartbreaking at the time, and you know what I mean. It was probably my best chance had of winning a British title because I'd already boxed for it twice against Michael Gomez and Alex Arthur, and obviously you know the calibre of them fighters. I was yeah. unfortunate to be coming up against them for the British title. Really, <clears throat> yeah, that's that's the story. Well, um, who was you scheduled to fight in the next one? Or did, did you just it say that? Stephen Chinner. His name oh, was right. Stephen Chinner. Yeah. Yeah. On a bad fighter, yeah. So you had, um, you said like Michael Gomez, um, who everyone, anyone that knows boxing is going to remember him. He was, he's fucking unhinged, isn't he? But um, yeah. on his day, unbelievable, wasn't he? Like he was world level on his day, but he just had so yeah, many hot and cold yeah. days, didn't he? Yeah, very, very good. I mean, unfortunately, I got I got Gomez and Arthur at their peak, to be honest. They were very, very good fighters. Um, and I, I mean, like I say, I was unlucky to come up against them for the British title, really. Yeah, but you went like you went on. It was after then, wasn't it? Like you lost to Arthur. Yeah, I lost. I lost to Arthur in the December, and then uh, at the time, Mick Hennessy was promoting Carl Froch and. Obviously, Carl Froch is Nottingham based, where I'm from, I'm Newark. And um, he was putting shows on at the Nottingham Arena. So, John Ashton, the manager, um, called him and said, Look, is there any opportunity you can get Carl on that show? A local lad, big ticket seller. Uh, and we dig deep into it, and it got me a chance for the, the WBF world title. Now, listen, I ain't going to be sat here saying I was a top world champion, that I won a version of mine, a version of a world title. At the time, the WBF was recognised. Um, so I got a shot of the WBF world title on that bill against a guy called Ben Odomati, who was a good fighter from Ghana, Accra. Um, and, and I beat him on a unanimous points decision. Yeah, it was a big night for me. Yeah, you had... Um, let's have a quick look. How many fights did you end up having altogether? Do you remember? Uh, 39 yeah, I had, fights. I had 39, yeah, one for 32. So you went on... You had 30... You only had five... Five stoppage wins out of um, yeah. thirty-two wins, but yeah. so would you? Had, would you class yourself as? 20... Go on. Yeah, I had twenty-one lads over in my career, and not five. I only stopped five. Four of them was clean knockouts. It was it was funny really because I could wallop with a left door, but if I didn't keep them down, I was a shit finisher. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, I used to put them down, and if they didn't stay down, I want a very good finisher. But obviously, when I, the ones that I did knock out, as you've seen on, on some of the clips, the, there was there was out cold. It was it was funny, really. And I think that comes from I don't know if it's like a mental scar I had, but I was six and zero unbeaten, and I boxed a guy called uh, Lee Armstrong on the seventh fight. Now he was a tough, hard man. He was. He was experienced. He was a strong kid. And uh, I went out there, I was six and oh, thinking I was this and that. You know what it's like, just to head a bit when you when yeah, you yeah. first start and out and that. And you think you can't be beaten or that. It was a, it was a, it was a big, um, it, it opened my eyes really into professional boxing. It it was like a big eye opener. Um, I put him over early, this Lee Armstrong. And uh, I went in to finish him. I'd sold a bundle of tickets. And... Uh, Next minute, I'm, I'm on my arse, you know what I mean? The, ring, the bells are ringing in the head, and I'm thinking, wow. But this was the days when you didn't have the standing aid. So when you got up, it was box on straight away. And my lack of experience, really, as a pro, and I'd never been down before. So 
Instead of like taking the aid count, which he actually did when I look back on the video, he sat on his knee, took the aid count, got his head cleared, and off he went. But what I did was shot straight up at three, boxed on, and it was just, it was crazy. Ended up getting stopped on my feet in the in the fourth round, but it was a crazy fight that I watched it back, and uh, it was brilliant. Yeah. Great experience, like, yeah. I suppose, yeah, like you say, that, that um the fact you put him down and then stop been stopped yourself it you must have had like a like a mental block there when you put someone down you must have thought fuck yeah. like almost like it's like a bad thing <laughs> i know because i went to finish him and then <clears throat> when i started putting lads down after that i was a bit more cautious i never went in like you know what i mean all gun out swinging and all that so that's probably why i didn't get him out of there you know right. what i mean because yeah. i had that blockage thinking that that's when you're more open to be caught yourself when you're swinging away. Yeah. And I, and I, and I was a bit more cautious when I put lads down after that. So, yeah, it learnt me a lesson in, in, in sort of like a good way, but it was in a bad way as well, whereas I wouldn't, I never had the excitement after that that I did have in the earlier fights, you know what I mean? What, as far as like what you was exciting the crowds and stuff? Yeah, yeah, I was always exciting the crowd and, and fighting for the crowd, really, and always in tear-ups. And then I think after that fight, I changed my style a bit. I was a little bit more cautious, you know what I mean? What was you like? Um, obviously, not a not a knockout merchant because of what you just outlined, but you're a big hitter by the sounds of it. Um, but yeah. what did you adapt to be more of a boxer? Or? Just a bit more control, really. I worked yeah. on my defence more because early on in my career, I was getting hit with right hands for fun. I mean, I look back on the videos and... You know, obviously having this time off and obviously with what's going on, it's the first time ever I've had a proper break in 24 years. I've always, since 1996 when I turned pro, and obviously I went straight into the business side as soon as I retired. I've never really ever been out of the gym. And obviously apart from the annual leave with your Christmas holiday and your, your holiday with your family and that, this is the only time I've ever really been able to sit down and, and just look into things and and... You know what I mean, and go through some of my old my old videos and my old DVDs and that. It's been good to be honest. Yeah, yeah, take it in a bit. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, what? So I know a lot of like from personal experience and speaking to other fighters as well. Um, you saying that a lot of fighters don't look back on their careers and they don't not so much they don't look back on their fights and stuff like that, but they never look back on their careers and sort of give themselves the credit. That, like, uh, is this is this like you're saying the first time you've ever gone back and gone fuck actually I weren't too bad you know <laughs> yeah I've looked at them and uh, I've, I've made a little because uh, I've gone through them all all my DVDs the ones that I've got I ain't got all of them I think I've got about 24 out of the 39 fights and I've made a little montage of all my knockdowns and knockouts it's great and I've just like paused it and that and I, put, I think I put it on Facebook actually yeah. and uh, it was good to look back on them yeah I mean I'm actually left-handed orthodox, you see. Oh, really? So all my, yeah, all my knockouts and knockdowns come from the left door. Um, I've only ever had one lad down with right hand. I am a bit ambidextrous, but I'm mainly left-handed. Yeah. What was that? How'd that come about then? Because I know um, a lot of a lot of times, or you you see it more often where like amateur coaches sort of go, "I want my fighters to be southpaw," and they'll they'll turn a right right-handed southpaw. But um, you don't really hear yeah. it a lot, do you? Like, other than like for an injury or something like that. Yeah. How comes you you went that uh, way? I think what it was, uh, my my amateur coach, old Dick Dormney, bless him. He um, 
he was it called? I went in the gym and I think I don't think he was keen on training southpaws. And obviously, he just said, "Put stand in your boxing stance." And I stood in my boxing stance and I had a great left jab, even as a kid, a brilliant left jab. But my right hand used to slap a bit, you know what I mean? It used to flap. So it took a bit of time. I mean, I was always a 50-50 amateur from the from first probably 20 fights as a kid. I'd won 10, lost 10. And then it all clicked together for me about 15 year old, you know what I mean? I got to the uh, I got to the junior ABA finals and then I got picked for Young England and it started really then I hardly lost any fights, then it was just one or two a season where I was always a 50-50 kid because I was developing the right hand and it took it took a good couple of years for me to get quite strong with both fans. Did you um you was quite young when you turned pro as well, weren't you? Yeah, I was only 19. Yeah, yeah very young. Yeah. Yeah. So was that always the intention then? Did you like did you get sort of bored of the amateurs or did you think actually, do you know what? I like the I like the the supposed glamour of the uh, of the pros. Yeah. No, it wasn't that. I think what it was because I, I, I kept bumping into a kid called Craig Space in the <clears> ABAs. And Space he was a very very good amateur. He was a European gold medalist and uh, it was a good fighter. And I just kept coming up against him all the time. And then I was looking at lads that had boxed, um, like Jason Squire and Carl Allen and a few others. And and I'd beat them lads in the amateurs. And, I, and they was doing all right as pros. And I thought, I don't know. I mean, the word professional is a daunting word, isn't it? You know what yeah, I mean? It's, yeah. I mean, now you look back and you, you have a little laugh about it. Because, I mean, he was fighting hard of obviously fighting as, as an amateur at a good level in the amateurs, he was having a lot harder fights. It's what you do when you first turn pro, you know what I mean? But yeah. I just thought to myself, I got a little bit flat and I thought, I didn't want, obviously didn't want to pack up and I thought, I ain't really going to get any further with the amateurs now. So I just turned pro. Um, I went to watch, I think it was Drew Doherty at Mansfield Leisure Centre, was fighting was it Jimenez or something? I can't remember. And John Ashton was there. John Ashton's a local promoter from down the road in Kirkby and Ashfield. And um, I think it was Robbie Sivier that introduced me to him. He was pro at the time. And uh, he come and met me. He said, I've heard you interested in going pro. I said, yeah. He said, right, let's have a meeting. We arranged a meeting. And uh, I signed up for him. But I kept it quite low profile. I never really told a lot of people. And then um, the low... The local paper found out they ran me the little piece on it, and then uh, that was it. So I think I met John in the February and uh, in the January, I think, and he had my pro debut in the March. It was quite a quick turnaround. Uh, so that was back in I can't believe nineteen ninety six. It's crazy. You're only young now. <laughs> it's crazy. I'm forty three now, but I feel like I've been around forever. Well, you have, haven't you? <laughs> I have, mate. Yeah, I mean. Okay, I, had, I had I had seventy amateur fights. Started from nineteen nineteen eighty eight. Nineteen eighty eight. Then I turned pro in ninety six. Retired in two thousand and five. Straight into the management in yeah two thousand and six I think. And then I started promoting in two thousand and seven. I had a look back on box rec. Uh, and I've done 100, I've promoted 145 shows since 2007. Fucking hell. Is that, how many's, like, compared to, say, a promoter 
like Hearn or Warren or someone like that? How many is that? How many are they doing it? Oh, that's that's probably more than them. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, if you look on, I mean, that's an average of what? And I ain't very good at maths, but what? 12, 12 shows a year, is it an average? Fucking hell. You know what I mean? So that's one every month, isn't it? Fuck if you sake. looked it like that, but yeah, yeah. you have your quiet periods like August and January, you don't do anything. Yeah, yeah. So a couple of months. I mean, it's like March. The March this has just gone now. I had a show planned every week, but obviously with the coronavirus, the two of them fell through. So yeah, I had seventh, the fourteenth went ahead, and then I had the twentieth and the twenty ninth. I think it was. Yeah. Okay, no. Are your are your family involved in the promotions and stuff like that? Because obviously it's, no, it's... All, all, all on my own, Dan. You won't really? believe it, mate. All on my own. Fuck you know. because you got um you got kids, didn't you? You got wife and kids. You um yeah, I got, yeah. Are they yeah. and they nothing to do with your boys' box or anything like that? Or, or you? No, my boys what? only. Cause I'm I'm married again. Yeah. Um, I got a, a little boy, Caden. He's six with me with my second wife. Um. And I've got two daughters from the first wife. One's twenty-one, yeah. And one's fifteen. Amelia and Bridie, and, and then they don't box. Kim, no, no, no. But you're glad about that, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, That's yeah. Good, they're not. Yeah. They're not really. What? Um, fucking mental, mate. That's, that is a long time in the game, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. What? Um, and I'm still probably. I probably still got. Well, listen. I don't want to be around for too long, but I reckon probably six day I'll probably get out of boxing. Yeah. So another seventeen years, yeah. Fuck's sake. Don't I don't know. want to be. I don't want to be training fires too much longer, though. Yeah. You know what I mean, I reckon seven more years, and and I, and I want to be out of training. I think you, you must. Because I've never, I've oh, never man. had time to really. Enjoy my family time and that you know, like I've never had my tea apart from this coronavirus. Nah, I've never had my tea on the table at like five o'clock since I was a kid living at home with my mum and dad. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm at the gym every night and getting in at eight o'clock, and it's just not fair and that. You know what I mean? I think you must be one of the only like promoters, especially like you get small hall. Promoters, and I suppose a lot of your shows are small hall promoters, but you're you're like big yeah, time yeah, as well, aren't you? But yeah. you um yeah. like still training fighters, still managing fighters, still promoting fighters. I bet there ain't many promoters out there doing that. Nah, I always laugh because I'm at a show. I'm at a show as a promoter in my tracksuit, your hands up, doing the corners, doing the pads, everything. Sorting the money out before the show starts, and mate, you would not believe what I go through. People would not believe believe me if you told them the story. You know what I mean? What? Well, um, um, how do you keep it organised, though? You must have a, a decent system in place now over the years. I'm like, very, yeah, I'm very, very organised. I mean, it's a full time job. So what I do, I'm in and out of the gym in the day. Um, I've got my trainers, that, I've got my fighters that are training in the morning. And then I've got my ones that work and they come in the evening. So in between that, I'm working on my promotions, getting everything booked, everything organised. I even match make the own shows as well. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> yeah, so I do all that. And then obviously it frees me up. So it's my full-time job. It's what I do yeah. for a living. 
Why do you do it? Or are you too tight to pay someone, or just like the control? You know, you know what? <laughs> you know, you know, I'm not listening. You know, I'm one of the most generous people you'll ever meet, honestly. But what it is, I just feel like I like to be in control. You know what I mean? I feel like I've been let down a lot in my life, and I feel like if I don't do a job myself, it won't be done right. And and like the matchmaking, I mean, you've got a show, and if a show's like. I don't know, if you're going to make a grand on a show at the end of it all, and then you've got you've got a 500 pound matchmaking fee to pay out, you know what I mean? You, and it, they're only going to be... And, the, and what happens is, because if you're not matching the show and your fighters get beat, then you're going to start questioning the matchmaking, you know what I mean? Yeah. So if you're in full control yourself, you haven't got to... I don't know, it's just, just what I do, you know what I mean? Yeah, I've always done yeah. it. And listen, I'm successful at what I do. Um, and I mean, why change a winning formula? Yeah. I think if I went on to the biggest stage and obviously, you know what I mean, I'm going to have to get people involved. But I mean, listen, on the night, I've got everybody working for me. I pay everybody. They've all got the tasks to do, all got the jobs to do. Yeah. Um, I've now got, I've got a, a PA now, David Wainwright. He does all me social networking and pushes things outside, which is good. You know what I mean? Controls my website and my Facebook page and all that and, and pushes things like that. It comes to the gym interviews, the fighters, and, and he's very good like that for me. So, obviously, things are getting progressing there. Well, um, you mentioned there about, like, you get to the end of a show. Because, obviously, people, they see on TV, they see Eddie Hearns, the Frank Warrens, and... Like, and in a few years back, you had the Maloney's and the Hennessy's, and they always like there was always like loads of money behind them. So people think promoters are earning bundles, don't they? Yeah. But it's yeah. it's far from the truth, and for the amount of work that goes yeah. into it. So you got to realise on on a uh, on a promotion like a non TV promotion, or you <clears> you've just got to rely on ticket. All your incomes coming from um, your revenue is ticket sales. So if your tickets don't sell and your fighters don't sell, you don't want to pull a show, the money's coming out of your pocket. So if you're going to lose money on a show, it's coming out of your own pocket. Mm. You know what I mean? So if your tickets don't sell and you keep the show going, then who's going to pay for the show at the end of it? It's yeah. the promoter. Everybody in the arena will get paid apart from the promoter. So and that's how it works. Yeah. I remember when I used to, um, when I was fighting, I had a couple of times where I didn't sell enough tickets and obviously you have contracts and in, in the contract I was like this is how much I had to pay in so I had to pay money out of my own pocket and people were like that's fucking disgusting that's this I was like right, look if I, if I don't pay it he's got to pay out of his own pocket so I mean I've signed the contract and, and yes it may not be fair people go oh, you've done 12 weeks of our training I'll go yeah but you don't realise how much sacrifice that man's had to make to put the show on and the stress and the fucking aggro well, I'll be honest with you. I'm one of the I'm one of the most probably the generous one of the generous promoters there is around. Yeah. And all my fighters will tell you the deals I do now is I don't I've never had a contract with any of my fighters. Never had one contract. Um, it's all handshake, verbal agreement. They all know the deal, and basically that's how I work. You know what I mean? And handshake is good enough for me with anybody. Yeah. So. And they trust me 100%. We've always worked well together with every one of my fighters. Now, I don't, when I first started out, 
you used to guarantee them a wage. So if they turned up with like, I don't know, a grand, and the opponent was back then a grand, and you told the, the kid that was in the home corner that he was getting 800 quid, then I've lost 800 quid, yeah. you know what I mean? Plus the money that's going into the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I probably lost 1,800 quid because you rely on about a grand a man, yeah. a grand a fighter to cover his show. So that was back then. But now my system's changed. For the last couple of years, basically, I say to my fighters, right, you'll take X amount of tickets, wherever you sell, you pay your opponent and we'll go 50-50 on the split. Now, if a kid had sold far, three grand worth of tickets, his opponent was 1,200 quid, that leaves 1,800 quid. Yeah. So he would get 900 for himself. I take no management fee and no, you know what I mean, no management fee off him. If I train the kid, I'll take 10% trainer's fee. If someone else manages them, then that's down to them to yeah, sort out, yeah. out their money. So when I have <laughs> 900 quid for the show, which is which is all right. Yeah. But then if you get a kid that turns up with 1,500 quid and his opponent's 1,200 quid, he'll get 150 quid and I'll get 150 quid, which is no use to nobody really. Yeah, yeah, but they yeah. know the deal. We should, we, they know the deal straight 50-50 after the opponent. Yeah, but and, and that's what they, that's what they do. But then you get these kids who go on shows. I've got some big big ticket sellers. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I've got lads that's walking away doing four and six rounders, walking away with like four and five grands, mate. It's crazy. It's more money than you'd get for an English title fight. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now you get these kids slagging promoters and all that. But they're the kids that can't sell tickets. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And then you get the kids that can sell big tickets and they walk away with massive money. Yeah. For four and six rounders, and they're happy as Larry on my deals. Mm. Now I know there's not every promoter does that deals, and I know I know down south things are more expensive, like more expensive. The show's a bit more expensive to put on than they are down here. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You've still got your overhead, what the border control costs and that, but I get my venues a decent money. Yeah. And I get looked after quite quite a good lot. And I feel like I'm a good promoter. I've got my head screwed on. And I know what I'm doing. You know what I mean? I'm yeah. soft in other aspects from the fight as a manager and as a trainer. But as a promoter, you've got to have your head screwed on. And my system works for me. Yeah. So I'm happy. Yeah. Whatever anybody says, it works for me. You know what I mean? But... Yeah. You get, I mean, the fighters who go on my shows, we always know roughly what they're going to sell because I've got a, a, a list of what they've done in the past. And so they know the deal when they're going on the shows. So it's up to them whether they want to take it or not. Now, some fighters look at it and think, right, oh, you know what, I'm going to struggle to sell tickets here. So they end up going on the road. And, and that's how it works yeah, out for yeah. it. But listen, this ticket selling that, yeah, it's crap. You know what I mean? We shouldn't have to do it. But it's the only way it's going to work with no TV. You've got yeah. no other revenue company. You've got no TV revenue company. You've only got ticket sales and a bit of sponsor if you can get, it, you can get in there, yeah. which is tough sometimes. So you've got to understand that I've got I've got my bills to pay at the end of the show and people won't pay it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and if, the, if 
the devil's shoulder to tickets and it comes out of my pocket. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I do lose money on some shows and I make money on shows. It swings and roundabouts, but everyone knows the deal when they go on my show and yeah. that's it. Take it or leave it. Yeah, that's it. I think like a couple of points there. I think um, one that that's you're taking a big risk, isn't you? Really, like knowing that someone might turn up and only sell sell fifteen hundred quid's worth of ticket, and that you've done a deal that they're going to take half of the anything above what their opponent costs. So, like you're yeah, getting basically it. getting nothing. Like you nothing, say, yeah. people go, "Oh, yeah," but you're getting under fifty quid not, in your pocket. It's not, it's not ideal, but I do know who's going on that show. So I know that I'm going to have big sellers to cover the overhead. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. I'm giving a chance. I'm giving a fighter a chance. He knows the deal. He knows he's not going to earn much money. And I know I'm not going to earn much money. But if I think that fighter is going to go somewhere or worth investing a bit, then I call that my investment. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because most promoters would say, right, your opponent's going to cost X amount. I want X amount to go into the show. And then we all get paid after I've had my promoters fee. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is what a lot of promoters do do. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Listen, I like I say, I've, I've boxed. I know the I know the ins and outs. I was a ticket seller myself, and there was times when I did struggle with tickets, and there was times where I did end up fighting on the road a few times. You know what I mean? Um, but listen, that's how the game is. If we've got no TV revenue. You ain't got big back in big sponsorship and that's how it's gonna have to be yeah. yeah i think like like you say there like the risks you take as well so i think like that that's one point i, I sort of picked up from what you were saying there another one is basically as a fighter regardless of how much you understand a contract or anything like that you sign a contract that's like you you've got to honor that deal so it, it doesn't matter how much you understand it like it if it's your job as a fighter to understand that contract. If you're going to sign it, you need to understand. Yeah. You can't turn around after and go, oh, I'm about to pay 200 quid out of my own pocket. I go, yeah, but that, that's the contract you signed. It doesn't matter. That is the contract you've yeah. signed. And it's, um, yeah. as, 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 shit it, as shit as it is, it's, that's just how it is. Another thing as well, the, um, like you saying about ticket deals and putting promotions on and stuff like that, I cannot tell you the amount of people that have turned around and said to me, like outside of people outside of boxing and people in boxing that don't get it and they go, oh, it's bollocks, it shouldn't be like that. It's the promoter's job to promote the show. I go, well, no. Yeah. Because if they did it like that, then tickets wouldn't get sold. There wouldn't be any shows. And they go, well, they shouldn't put shows on then. I go, yeah, but then the guys that they're giving opportunities to, because for some, some fellas, I mean, for instance, myself, being able to call myself a professional boxer is something I'm really proud of. It wasn't why I turned pro. Yeah. I turned pro because I thought I was going to be good enough to go on and win some decent titles. Yeah. It never happened how I wanted it to. But I got the opportunity yeah. to turn around and say, do you know what? I was a professional boxer and I was half yeah. decent. You know, I've done all right. And so that's something I can be proud of. Without someone like my old uh, manager and promoter, Mickey Helliot, Although, yes, sometimes I had to pay out my own pocket. That was the contract I signed. He never lied to me. Do you know what I mean? It may not have been no, fair no, no. From, from some people's perspective, but that was it. Yeah. I mean, going back to that, I mean, as a promoter, I probably sell, unless I'm in my own area, like my own town, where I know a lot of people that will come and support the show because of me. I, I, out of my own area, where I'm putting shows and I probably sell... I've got a website where a PayPal link on where you can buy tickets now, and I probably sell five, six tickets a show. 
some shows that don't sell any. Yeah. So what I'm saying is, it's all like people saying, yeah, it's down to the promoter to promote the show and sell the tickets. That isn't possible because no, with all due respect, <clears throat> out of your own area, nobody knows who you are. Yeah, exactly. So you're not you're not like an Anthony Joshua or a Cal Buck or a big name fighter where they're going to go and watch a big event and a big show and, and, and all that. They're going there. They're not going to buy tickets to watch someone they don't know. You know what I mean? Or they've yeah. never heard of. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's, it's just how it is. It's it's um, it's just how it is. It's it's just down to the fighters to sell the tickets because without, like you say, outside their own area, nobody knows who these fighters are. So as a yeah. promoter, it's virtually impossible to sell tickets. Yeah, yeah. See, I know, I know personally quite a few promoters, and unless every single one of them's lying to me, I know that. It just doesn't work unless the fighters are selling tickets. It just don't work, and it and it's like well, they're, they're sort of like these people are saying this sort of thing. They're sort of harking back to days when there would only be one boxing promotion every whatever couple of months, and it would be people would like there was nothing else. So perhaps you had a bit of football on TV or something like that. Going back to like the eighties, people were living back in those days where they think, oh, a boxing promotion's on, everyone's going to go. It don't work like that because there's boxing promotions on all over the country every single week. And people like most people don't even know about them. Most people don't even know about them because it's not as popular as it used to be boxing. Because there's so uh, many other options out there. Too many, yeah. And there's, and there's so many shows in that. And it's like I mean, I, I've had posters done for every. Mate, I've had 145 shows. I've had posters done for every single show. I always get like 50 to 100 posters done. I give them to the fighters. I can guarantee you they don't put them all. They might put the odd one all. Yeah, but yeah. it's all through social media now. You give them a, a print of the post and they'll just put it on the Facebook or on the Instagram. I'll take a picture of it. <laughs> yeah, and that's yeah. how they sell it. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. It's just how it is all. And they'll just send a link out and, and, and just let the, and, and let the friends know they're all fine. And that's how they sell the tickets. I mean, so I, I, I take it some people are more popular than others. Some areas are into the boxing more than others. But... Like I say, I've got some big ticket sellers in my stable who sell a good ticket, and and you never hear them moaning. They're happy as Larry at the end of the night. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. They're, they're, they're building the records up. They're doing really well, and they're getting paid good money. Yeah, I so, think that's in your first t like ten, even like ten or fifteen fights. Really, if you if you don't lose money, you've done well because it's not like yeah. if you're going into boxing to think I'm going to have ten fights, get ten and zero, and beat a load of uh, journeymen. And earn a load of money, then you're deluded. Like one, even and like you, see, you said, there, English title. You get an English title, you might only get a couple of grand for it. You know, it's, yeah. it there's no money, and like you've got to be like getting big time, or you've got to sell a lot of tickets, or go on the road. Yeah, yeah I mean, obviously, kids are getting paid. I mean, I mean, I've won a couple of purse bids for English titles, and I've, I've gone quite deep with them. You know what I mean? I mean, I won the purse bid for Jake Spellman and Kurt Garvey, and and Kurt got, you know what I mean, more money off me than he would have got on a TV show. Yeah. You know what I mean? I know he had to come to our backyard and that, but I have dig, dug deep on some fights, you know what I mean? Where you, but you just know what that fight is worth. And I know Dick, Dick was a big seller, and he, I think he sold 450 tickets for that. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, so I know that I knew that it was going to be worth a while putting a decent bid in, but yeah. you've just got to be careful. But, <clears throat> like you say, I mean, 
some like it's just one of them and it's I mean the people that's not happy the people that the fighters that slag promoters and like is the ones that can't sell tickets at the end of the day. Yeah. So it's up to them. Go on the road then, you know yeah, what exactly, I mean? If yeah. you don't want yeah. to stress the selling tickets, I mean let me say I've always said it's the hardest job in the wolf fight on the road because you you're not the one picking the opponent, they're the one picking you, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. it's how it is. And um you're always up against it on the road. It's a tough, tough job. But you know you're going to get paid at the end of the night. You've got no stress. You turn up, you bag, your trainer, you fight. You know what I mean? Most kids are tough. They know how to look after themselves. They go away with a pocket full of money and they're ringing me up. Oh, get me out up on the distance. Get me out on a box next yeah, week. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, and you find that a lot of kids start out selling tickets and they find it such a struggle. They end up going on the road. I mean, you look through a lot of journeyman's records, they've won the first three or four fights yeah, yeah, because they've yeah. tried selling it and doing it that way. They realise there's no money in it and they just think, sorry, I'll go on the road. Do you know what I mean? And, yeah. and that's how it turns out. Yeah, I've got I mean, um... unfortunately, really, unfortunately, really, because we've got some very, very good fighters, got a few champions, probably got about 20 unbeaten kids and building up. But I've also got some of the best journeymen in the country. I've probably got eight, ten journeymen in the country that are probably the best on the road, tough, for the distance every week, cause the odd upset. So, you know what I mean? I'm very fortunate to be in the position I'm in. Yeah, yeah. So um, one of the other points I was going to bring up, just to sort of big you up a bit, I've, uh, I think you're the other, and this ain't for me personally, like, I'm talking about other promoters here, like I've got nothing against any promoters, I know RG boys have got it, but... I can genuinely say you're the only promoter I know of that's never been slagged off to me by anyone. Like everyone, I don't know anyone who's got a bad word because I think it's because you're honesty and the fact that you've been there and done it, people see that and they know that you're not, like you're not playing games with it. It is what it is, and and you're as honest yeah. as as can be. Yeah, I'm straight. I'm straight <coughs> as you come, and that's what I pride myself on. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, like you say, you'd, I'd find it very. You'd, Listen, if anyone's got a bad word to say for me, then I'd like to, I'd like to hear it, you know what I mean? Because I've never heard anything. Anyone's but, got uh, anything to say, put it in the comments. <laughs> I'll pass the, I'll pass the message on. They can't stand me, you know what I mean? But <laughs> as far as I'm aware, I don't really know anybody. And a lot of people always say to me, oh, I never hear a bad word said about you, you good guy, and you're straight as a common. Listen, what you see is what you get, you know what I mean? I was the same as a fighter. I was a good, honest pro, you know what I mean? yeah, yeah. Um, always gave it hundred percent, and that's what I try and do now. And, and boxing's been my life since the little kid, and you know what I mean. It's what I do. Yeah. I like to think I know the game inside of that, and you know what I mean. And it's what I've always done. And like I say, I like to be straight with people. I like to be honest with people. I sit them down when they're coming to sign with me and I explain to them how the game works. And you need to, you need to know where you stand from the start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a couple of people who've uh, commented that you might might know their names. <clears throat> Robin Deakin, he's obviously the first one. He's, oh, uh, he's <laughs> is that about ginger bollocks or something? <laughs> he, oh, he just keeps putting it out. Every, like every other message is Robin Deakin saying. Him, no, I always call him ginger balls because he's got a ginger ear, hasn't he? So I call him ginger balls. Now he started calling me. <laughs> The other one, you got uh, my old pal Sam Cousins. 
Yeah, good fight. I used to yeah, manage Sam. Yeah, yeah. Big old man, he was. Yeah. Did you box Sam? I boxed him twice. Yeah, he beat me and I beat him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Tough kid, Sam. Big old man. I think that was before you got hold of him, though. Otherwise, he might have beat me a second time. Yeah, he might have been. Yeah. <laughs> been, yeah. Um, and also Jody Meikle. He's uh. Jody top lad. Yeah. Top kid, yeah. He just said, "I've got to ask you about Scotland or something." Oh mate, we went to Scot. <laughs> we went to Scotland, and um, they were fighting a Scottish amateur champion heavyweight. Um, was it Drummond or someone? Anyway, we got there. Jason Ball was fighting as well. There was me. Jason was being trained by Danny Oliver at the time. I was managing him and Joe Day. And uh, we went up there. And it was a day before weighing because Jason was fighting for the uh, international masters. Anyway. Me and Danny was, was going to go out for a look around Glasgow. It was a Sunday night. So anyway, I said to, said to Jody, I said, you aren't coming out, you and Jason. I said, you stay home, you're fine tomorrow. He went, no, gaffer, because he calls me gaffer, don't he? No, gaffer. So Jason stayed home. He didn't come out. Um, anyway, he went, no, gaffer, I'm, I'm, I'm coming out. So he come out. Anyway... We'd had a little, me and Danny was having a little bit of a drink in that. And anyway, look round and Jody stood the wheel like a goldfish bowl, full of shots and shorts <laughs> and all everything. Absolutely smashed. At the end of the night, we was all, we was, listen, it's good crap. I mean, he's not very professional because he's talking about it now, but listen, mm-hmm. that's how Jody was. Anyway, he gets up and uh, we get up next one, has the breakfast and all that. And, uh, we go to Scotland. You know what they're saying in Scotland. You have to knock them out to get a draw. We had a right result, mate. <laughs> Jody went and got a draw. With a hangover. He won the fight. He got a draw. And Jason went and stopped the kid, I think, for this for the International Masters Bowl. So we ended up with a winner and a draw. <laughs> and we had a great night the night before it all. <laughs> but what a crack. Honestly, i got some memories with Jody. Fucking He's a quality lad, isn't he? I, I remember when I boxed I, was, I had him on the other day and I was chatting to him and I, I, when I boxed him my old man came up to me after the show because my dad was like my biggest supporter come and watch me all the fights and he went yeah. that geezer you was fighting he's a bit fucking mental isn't he I went oh what is that he seemed like a really nice friend he went oh he was coming back to the corner going fucking come on come on like, <laughs> like speaking to himself in the corner <laughs> he's nuts mate honest oh, nails was you in his corner for that fight when I fought him Probably, mate, yeah, because yeah. he never really... I mean, I never trained Jody once because he lived too far away. Yeah. But back then, I mean, I used to have a few journeymen when I first started out, and none of them had trainers. They used to do their own thing. and used to, I used to get on fires. They used to say, oh, we do my corner gaffer. I've got no one to take me in. So I used to always go with them, you know what I mean? And yeah. do the corners. And I tell you what, looking back now, because I mean, I ain't done a, I ain't been involved with journeyman that for years. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I've obviously been too busy with what I'm doing, and I never do any of the corners now. They've all got their own setups and that. It's changed a lot, really. But you know what? I've had the best days of my life on the road with the fires. I tell you what, you see, you learn so much. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Going around the country, <laughs> different venues, different shows, and and you just learn your trade. You know what I mean? I learned my trade really. Going on the, in the corners and cuts. I mean, I was put. I was going through some old DVDs the other day, and I found one. Box Nation was to send me it, and it was Jody when he boxed Frank Buglione. Yeah. And I tell you what, he got hit with everything, 
It was just smiling at him, and, and Buglieri could punch him back. But he was a bit of a banger, wasn't he? And I was watching yeah. it, and he was like getting flushed, laughing at the crowd, and that. He come back and think it was the end of the book. But I tell you, what, I've never seen a cup like it. It was like it was massive, and I put a swab in it. And listen, I lost a swab. It was that deep. Fuck so we ended up we ended up putting like three swabs together. Squeak, honestly, and how I stopped that, I will never know. But you asked Jody, it was unbelievable. It was massive cup. And, uh, oh, but honestly, you learn your trade on the road. I mean, I had to learn this tell for me. No one taught me anything. And, and, and listen, it, it's been a great experience. Yeah. I think another thing as well, which I mean, you, I, I don't know, but I imagine like with boxers in general, we're all a little bit like, we're all a bit, we've got to be a little bit mental to get in there yeah, and fight yeah, in the first yeah. place. But with without the like restraints of, trying to be a ticket seller and trying to like put out like a a, a perception to a, to your support and stuff like that the reins are off aren't you as a journeyman so for the most part the journeymen that i've met have all been fucking mental <laughs> oh, they are they're tough they're very tough they're different breed mate i'm telling you you have to be tough to be on the road because you're up against you like you say you're the one being picked you know what i mean you're like yeah. the one they're picking you to beat really Know what I mean? Yeah. So they're selling the tickets. They're not going to sell hundred tickets to fight someone at that level. You I mean you don't start getting 50-50 fights until championship level, really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. boxing. So they're not going to pick you when they've done 100, 100, 200 tickets to uh, pick someone who's going to beat them, either. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fucking. You, nice. do, you do see the odd upset. I mean, yeah, you yeah. do see the odd upset, which you need, really. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, I think. Um... There's certain, well, there there is a certain aspect of people wanting that and it, like wanting to see that more. But then at the same time, people also want to see their fighters or the people they support go up and beat everyone and then go and win big titles. And at the moment, the way boxing's set up is that really you need to be like get into that ten and zero, twelve and zero to start getting into the title yeah. contention and stuff like that. Because if you if you lose half of your first ten fights, no one really wants to give you a chance. Yeah. Today. No, you're going to struggle, aren't you? You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. You've got to build them up and then obviously you'll know where you're at then. You've <clears> got to step up though, you know what I mean? You've got There's got to be a time when you've got to step up. I like to step my kids up before they actually fight for titles, you know what I mean? Because if you go in there too deep and you get found out, you know what I mean? You've yeah. got to build them up gradually and give them a few good tests before they hit the championship championship level, really. Yeah. And, and I think... I think fighters are moving a little bit quicker nowadays as well for some reason. Um, they're wanting to fight for titles a bit quicker. Um, I mean, obviously now they, they, like, they stopped the Masters and the Challenge bouts. Um, area titles are the first title you fight for. Yeah. But you need to be ready for it. I mean, it's 10 three-minute rounds and, and you've got to be ready for it. But some of these kids are fighting for area titles and after five or six fights, which is a little bit too soon, really. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, unless you've got a real good amateur pedigree and yeah, exactly, your full-time yeah. fighter and stuff, I, I I agree with you. I don't think they're they're ready for it. I mean, I was talking like when I when I was fighting, I think I had, I think I fought for the Masters in my ninth or tenth fight or something like that, and I think I was just yeah. about ready for that then. But um, I can least... remember. I think I did. I think I did James Tucker's corner when he boxed you. For oh, that. mate, fucking! That's one of the worst was that, fights. Was that... That was, that was, was that my defence. That? that was my my title defence, that defense, was. Defence, yeah. yeah, yeah. He yeah. fucking, he, 
Because it went at the weigh-in. He was another. He was another one. There, Brilliant fight, mate. mate. Brilliant fight. He was a tough lad. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember he, he, he come up to me afterwards, and he he said like I caught him with a few body shots, and he said to me, he "Went, do you know what?" And I was like fucking well proud of myself. He went, do "You know what? You're one of the first fighters I ever thought fuck me, I'm going to get stopped here." Like, and that didn't actually yeah, go yeah. go the full extent of stopping him. But he, when I see him at the weigh-in, I was like, "He's tiny, this fella." I was like, fuck. "I know, I know." I know. I got in the ring with him. I was like, he's fucking twice the size as he was yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> and he, um, Crazy. it was, I mean, I was, I struggled with a weight anyway. So I was always like, I think you did that fight. I can remember, you, you know what I'm thinking about it now? I can remember talking to you after and you told me you struggled with a weight. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was, I, I was taking like ridiculous weight off. And that's why I went up to cruise weight in the end. Um, but yeah. I remember when I boxed him, I'd done. My right hand, because I've done my right hand hitting um, Sammy Cousins in our fight. I bust, busted the tendons in my knuckle. And that went in the in the second round against uh, Tucker. In the yeah. fourth round, he hit me. Like, his shot come out of nowhere. And I was thinking, yeah. that ain't never going to rip me. All of a sudden, it just went, poof, whipped my eye open. Yeah, crazy. And then in about, I think about the sixth round, I hit him with a left and done my left hand as well. So I was fighting with one eye and, and no arms for the rest of the fight. Yeah. But he was, yeah. um, I'll tell you, he was a, he was a tough, yeah, tough if, lad. If he was willing to get down to like light middle or something like that, or maybe yeah, even like the super yeah. welterweight, uh, sorry, welterweight, uh, possibly he could have he could have done that. He'd have been, you know I mean, because he was, he could hit a bit as well. Like he had a dig on him. Uh, you know what? I'm sat here now and I'm just thinking I've had that many fighters over the years. Yeah. I can't believe it. The fighters I've had. Know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, I've got, I mean, I've got, more, I've got them all wrote, wrote down because obviously I do a, a book with the, obviously for the money and all that. And, and it's, and I was going through it the other day again and I wrote a little list out of all the champions I've had as well. It's, it's fascinating, really, the fighters I've had through the stable. How many, how many champions have you produced? I looked through the other day and I've had 17. This is a, this is not including, with all due respect, I mean, listen, being a master champion, Chinese belt, it's great, but this is just for area level and above. I yeah. mean, I've had hundreds, of, I've had loads of master champions and Chinese belt champions, but from area title level upwards, I've had 17 champions. I've had three British champions, two Commonwealth. I've had a European. Obviously, I trained David Avenesian. Neil Marsh is his manager. He's the only fighter I've got that I don't manage, but he's like world-class. Beat Shane Mosley. I mean, that's another story. Yeah. When we went to Arizona and he beat Shane Mosley. Roberto Duran was um, Mosley's trainer for that fight. So I was in the ring as David Avenesian's trainer. Opposite me was Roberto Duran. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like surreal, mate. I'm up against Roberto Duran and David's fighting Sugar Shane Mosley. I mean, listen, what a story. Fucking you know what I mean? Hell, you've got two powerful, like two Hall of Fame boxing legends. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. they've got me and David in the other corner. David beats Mosley. And obviously, I've got one up on Roberto Duran because he was his <laughs> trainer and I was David. Mate, it's like, it's unbelievable, isn't it? You know what Mental, I mean? So I've had a world champion. He's European champion now, obviously, David, down to fight Josh Kelly, but obviously it rolled through. Yeah. You know, I've, had, I've had Wayne, John Wayne, a WBC champion, Neil Dawson, two-time WBO international champion. I've had some good, good fight. Good fight, Dawson you know? was, wasn't he? I, I, I was like yeah. looking at him because he was he's a cruiserweight, wasn't he? Well, um, yeah. He could dig, mate, yeah. couldn't he? Was it, who oh, was it yeah. he sparked? He had, um, 
He knocked out Tony Conquest. That's it, Conquest, yeah, yeah. And then he went and knocked out Chris Keane, who was unbeaten, was flying at the time. Yeah, yeah. We've had some big wins, you know what I mean? But, God, looking through the list, it's brilliant. It's amazing. Who's out of your out of your list? I mean, you might not want to say, but out of your list, who do you look at and you think, do you know what, if they had just had a bit more dedication or a little bit more luck with, like, tickets or something, they had gone on and been something special. Yeah. Don't say, don't say Jody because you get a big head. <laughs> I can't, you know what, I've had, like I say, I'm sat here now and I'm swimming, I've had that many, I can't really think, but, um, yeah, I've had some very good fighters. Yeah. Um, I've had that many through my hands. I can't really think of any off the top of my head. I'd have to probably sit and look through my list and think, yeah, that, he should have done a bit more. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? But while I'm sat here, I can't really think. Um, yeah. It's mad though, isn't it? Yeah. Like when you think about like the, the amount of fighters you work with and, and like where you've taken and stuff like that, fucking mental, isn't it? Unbelievable. With um you saying about cuts earlier, um someone just popped up that you beat on a cut. Danny Ruig. Danny Ruig, yeah. Yeah, yeah he yeah. was I boxed him on my fifth fight. He was Western Area champion. Yeah. Um in fact I looked through his record the other day actually because I've been doing so much looking back on things since we've had this break. And Danny Ruig was a big step up for me. I think I was 4-0. and And I boxed him on Errol Bomber Graham's comeback fight at the Concord Arena in Sheffield. And it was a big risk for me fighting Danny. He was Western Area Super Bantamweight champion. I was trying to come down, which was daft, because that's when I, I shouldn't have come down in weight, really. But I beat Danny on a cut. He got a bad cut on his scalp. And I can remember being in a clinch with him and I was literally drinking his blood, mate. And know it sounds gruesome. <laughs> I can remember, it was that deep, it was pouring. And then we was talking in the showers after. And then I was only like a, about a 19, 20-year-old kid, really. I ain't got no tattoos now. I've never been into him. I looked at Danny. He was covered in tattoos from head to toe, mate. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It took me off an hour to read him. That many <laughs> <of tattoos. laughs> another great kid, man. He, he, was, he did contact me about his kid too and he broke with me, but he's gone with uh, MTK now and he looks a decent prospect. Yeah, yeah. So I um, I only know Danny because I do the commentary for Ross on his Queensby shows. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, Danny's uh, wife, uh, Gemma, she fights on the show, mate. She can fight, Shame. mate. I'm telling you, mate. She can fight, nah, mate. I didn't know. He didn't know his wife. Uh, his wife boxed. I mean, he's obviously from a fighting family, but he's a tough kid, Danny. And he yeah. Well, she was um, one of the shows. Um, he beat know. Gomez, you know. He beat Gomez, Danny Rue, as a pro. Michael Gomez. Michael Gomez. They had hell. one fight apiece. Yeah, one one win apiece. Yeah, he beat Gomez the second. On the second fight as well of him, so good oh. fighter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'd never. I mean, no disrespect if you're watching Dan. I'd never heard of him. I'd like, and then it wasn't until I started going onto the shows and um, people yeah, mentioned. We're, I, we're old, so yeah, right. yeah. <clears throat> so um, yeah. yeah, his wife. I went and um, when I do the commentary, I I was like. I'd done like a, a video for the day, like a day in the life of a commentator. And I was like, at the beginning of the thing, I was like, oh, I've got this one fight I'm looking out to tonight. It's two two young ladies fighting. 
And uh, I'll tell you what, mate, honestly, they're, they're the best fights you'll ever see. Like, his wife, she just does not stop throwing punches. But in one of her, you talk about him having a cut, in one of her um, fights, there's a cut that like, I've never seen, mate, like straight down the forehead, like that. And um, she carried on, carried on, won the fight. She's fucking unbelievable, mate. But he's um, apparently the, the kid's decent, and all he. Um, I forget his yeah, name. Yeah, he now. looks a decent prospect, mate. Yeah. Yeah, I think I've, I've only met him briefly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But he's um, but yeah, they're all, they're a lovely family as well. They all and their their gym setup and stuff. It's all like they're all in together. Um, yeah. All the family. Yeah. Bournemouth, and, Bournemouth, Bournemouth, remember? Yeah, somewhere down that way. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. Bournemouth, yeah. 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 But we've um, moving on back to yourself now. The Ultimate boxer. What, yeah. Um, how did that all come about? And what what sort of part did you play in that? And yeah, well, I had um, I had a meeting with Ben Shalom, who's uh, who runs it all, and um, obviously someone had told him about me. Um, obviously, good things, <laughs> and we had a meeting, and um, yeah, and obviously he gave me the job as being head of boxing for for Ultimate Boxer. So I'm the one that's obviously matched all the shows so far. Uh, obviously the undercars and, and, the, and getting all the ultimate boxes together. I deal with the border control. I do all the boxing side really. Yeah. I mean, so they're they're the businessmen. I don't I don't I don't promote or anything. It's it's down to them. But I mean, I run all that side of the match. I'm the match made better boxing really. Yeah. So what was the? Because um, obviously, I think when it first came about, people were just like. Oh, it's prize fighter point two, yeah, that sort yeah. of thing. But it's um, it's turned out to be something completely different from that, isn't it? Obviously, a very similar setup in a sense that the fights yeah, are, are those four fights in the night, um, or whatever. Four, yeah, um, yeah no, it's, it's the same. It's, yeah, it's the same format as in the uh, the free. You know, I mean, you have to have a quarter as the same as in a final to win it. All in one night, um, free freeze. It's the same sort of format like that. But what the Ultimate Boxer tried to do was bring more glitz and glamour to the event, make it more of a night out, you know what I yeah, mean, yeah. for all the youngsters and, and all the, the, the celebrities and all that was coming in. And they tried to do it on the first one. They had that big nasty, whatever his name is. He was singing, but it was effing and blinding. It was live on, it, it was on TV. And it was trying to put gaps in between and singers and dancers and, and music and DJs and you know what I mean and it just wasn't it just wasn't listen it was great for being in the venue for the night out but the board of control wasn't happy with it because the gaps was too big in between fights there was too much going on and it, it just wasn't happy you know what I mean so now basically you've got to do it where you do all your quarters in one go have your half an hour gap where you put a um, you have to have the boxing continuous all the time now, so you will have a you'll have an undercard fight in between the quarters and the semis, and then you'll put the semis on, and then you'll have a fight on between the semis and the final undercard fight. So the boxing is continuous inside the arena. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. what they do do is they have the big this DJ there and the music, and it's it's a fantastic setup and a brilliant night out. You get loads of celebrities there and. It's the way forward, really. They've done a great job with it, and, and it's it's been really exciting. Yeah, it's decent decent money for the fighters, isn't it? When they win it as well. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's it's not as good a money as what Prize Fighter was paying, but 
they haven't got the the TV revenue that obviously Sky was paying all that. But yeah. that might come. You know what I mean? They've got BT Sport behind them now, and and, and obviously things might change. What was the the first one they done? Was it fifty grand they gave away to the winner or something like that? No, basically it's a it's a pool. It's a pool of it's not you know what I mean. It's a pool of so all the money to, together yeah, comes yeah. to that. Yeah, yeah. I mean that yeah. was with bonuses and what have you, but um, yeah, so that's what was happening there. But it's it's just uh, more than anything, it's a great platform, isn't it, for fighters? Well, yeah. I mean, you're getting good good views. I mean. It, I mean, like, I wanted to do it, and, I, and I'm still trying to stick to it. I mean, I find it better for more up-and-coming fighters. It's unbeaten that's going to go in there, don't want to lose their own, going to give it everything they've got. I mean, at the end of the day, you're paying for an entertainment. You know what I mean? You get like, fighters in there that the prize fighters are bringing ex-champions in, and the fighters that's probably been past the best, coming back for an opportunity, coming back down to three rounds. It just don't suit the format. And yeah. if you lose that excitement, you know what I mean? You yeah. need fighters in it who's going to go in there, hopefully ever give it everything they've got and, and keep the entertainment going. And yeah. that's how it's been working for me. Yeah. I mean, I know that I know they want to start bringing champions in and big names and that, but it's just tough to get them <laughs> in and it's tough to, it's tough to keep the excitement going doing yeah. it that way, I think. Yeah, I think as well, like when you look at like the history of Prizefighter as an example, it doesn't always work out. Like the bigger names, they all I think they always tried, didn't they, to have one or two big names on each it died, show? It died a death towards the end, Dan, mm. because it, they just couldn't get that the format, it wasn't working. And I like that blowing in trouble. I like to think we've got something good going here. Yeah, and yeah. if they just let me stick to what I'm doing and keep bringing the up-and-coming fighters, the younger fighters, it's going to give it everything. Because at the end of the day, you can have big names in there, but if they're stinking the place out and they're not performing, you know what I mean? They can't adjust to these three rounds and people's going to be bored shitless, mate. And they're yeah. going to think, oh, I'm not coming back to this. Just put two kids in there. You know, if you had two, like, just give it out for leather and excitement and get people off the seats and ooing and ahhing, you know what I mean? That's yeah. what you need. You need excitement. I think a lot in boxing, I don't know if you'd agree as well, but I think like what you're trying to do there, I think a lot of that's been lost in boxing in a sense that it's like it's become more about the names and the fighters themselves rather than the actual fights. Like you don't really see on TV anymore just a tear up. Like I mean I no, I love no. technical boxing, but nine yeah, out of ten yeah. people that are gonna switch over and turn boxing on just wanna see a tear up and there's nothing wrong with that. Exactly, <clears throat> that's what they want to see. I mean, yeah. that's that's the way the game is. You know, what I mean, if you don't get very many purists now want to sit watching boxing and, and that. But like you say, you want excitement. You want lads who's going to go in there and give it all forever. I mean, especially over the three three minute round format. I mean, listen, yeah. when you find a championship level, you can't do that. You've got to slow the pace down. You've got to control things, and you've got to be more. You've got to think a lot more. You know what I mean? Because you're at an eye level in that. But just go for it. Three, three-minute rounds, you know what I mean? Let's see it. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, I've, I've had um, Grant Dennis, who's a mate of mine, he fought on, on one of the shows. Yeah. I absolutely loved yeah. it, mate. Absolutely brilliant. I loved it. Yeah. And you know, Len, Lenny yeah. Fuller as well. You know, was he the, yeah. the badger killer or something like that, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, that was it, yeah. Yeah, yeah but, he did um, really well, didn't he? Yeah. I think that was the only one. That was the only tournament that one that I never I never matched. I think um, Goodwin, Steve Goodwin, 
worked on that one because yeah. I was overworked, mate. I had a lot on then, and I just said to him, look, with all due respect, I've got that much going on. Could you get someone else in to do this one? And they did. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, other than that, I've done every other one of them. Well, every one other than that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's the um, what's the plans without going forward? Are you just going to stay in that position, like the head of boxing, or or, or are you going to get more involved in it? Or yeah, like, listen, I've got listen, too busy in your own stuff. I work, for, I work for myself, Jonah. I mean, like you say, I'm my own promoter. I do everything myself. That's the only person I'd probably, oh, the only job I'd do by actually working for somebody else. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. <clears throat> yeah. No, I, I'm happy with my role that I'm doing really. Yeah, yeah. So no, no, uh, no plans to take over. <laughs> no, no, no uh, definitely not. Uh, wicked. Listen, Cole. Um, thanks very much for your time tonight, mate. Uh, good to yeah, catch up really. with you. Anyway, and yeah, um, top man. Thanks, Dan. Thanks yeah. for having me on, mate. No, no, wicked. No, cheers for cheers for sharing the stories. But I mean, obviously, I can, I can talk. I can talk the skin off a rice pudding, mate. So. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, like, I mean, we obviously sit here and talk all night about stories and stuff like that. But I think, like, yeah, yeah, it's mad, especially like <clears throat> you saying the fighters that you've worked with and stuff like that. I bet you've got some, uh, got some brilliant stories some about stories. them and stuff like that. We'll save them for another night, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but, nice uh, one, mate. Yeah, nice one. Cheers, Carl, and all the best with everything you're doing, mate. Yeah. All the best with your fighters, and uh, hope, yeah. your, hope your back gets better soon. Yeah, thanks, Dan. It's going to be sore now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See you, mate. Catch you soon, mate. See you later. Yeah, thank no, you. Bye, mate.